0: The Growing Destinations podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Learn more about Minnesota's third largest city, which is home to Mayo Clinic and features wonderful recreational and entertainment opportunities, by visiting experiencerochestermn.com.
1: I kept thinking to myself, oh, this is just going to be another craft market or a maker's market. But I think highlighting and emphasizing all oh, the BIPOC vendors really help this event and is the success of the event because these are things that people don't see in their day-to-day lives or just in
0: the streets of Minnesota. Welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast, where we take a deep dive into destination development and focus on a wide range of topics, from tourism and entertainment to economic development and entrepreneurism and much more. I'm your host, Bill Von Bank. Tiffany Alexandria loves travel and experiencing authentic places. She grew up in Taiwan and moved to Rochester, Minnesota in 2017 with her husband, a Rochester native. As a lover of food, Tiffany started a foodie website focusing on recipes from Taiwan, which also showcases her amazing photography skills. She's a big supporter of farmers markets, sourcing local ingredients, and BIPOC startup businesses. In 2021, Tiffany created a new event for the community called Night Markets, bringing a taste of the Asian culture to Rochester and Minnesota. In 2022, Night Markets are back by popular demand. Tiffany Alexandria, welcome to the Growing Destinations podcast. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: Tiffany, can you share with us a bit about yourself?
1: I was born and raised in Taiwan, and I moved to Rochester, Minnesota, About five years ago, directly from Taipei, Taiwan. So I'm very new to the city. I love food, love supporting local food scenes, and very into photography. I love arts, and I love supporting small
0: businesses. Which we're going to talk a lot about (laughs) over the next half hour. So you grew up in Taiwan. What brought you to the United States, and specifically Rochester, Minnesota?
1: My husband, Sean Archer, grew up here in Rochester, Minnesota, and he was actually living with me in Taiwan for over three years. And I was just ready to move, travel, go anywhere in the world. Um, and he suggested, why not, Rochester, Minnesota, because he still has family here and we can visit for a bit. So we came here and I am still here.
0: Did you meet your husband in Taipei?
1: Yes, I did. I met him in Taipei, A long time ago (laughs) when I was a freshman in college and his dad was working in Taipei for Dell computers and he just graduated from college and wanted to learn Mandarin in Taiwan and dad was living in Taiwan at the time so it made it convenient to visit and went to Mandarin Chinese school to learn.
0: And ultimately your motivation to move to the United States and specifically Rochester, just uh, a new change of scenery.
1: I love traveling. I love seeing real places and real authentic people and have the experience of what United States is. I know like I could probably go to New York or LA, but those are just two big cities. How do the rest of the United States really live? And what are the people really like, right? There are so many different pockets. So I thought Rochester, Minnesota would be a different, interesting change and off the beaten path, basically. And I just want to see what it's like here. And it's been great.
0: I think I read about you that you were raised by a picky eater dad and a mom who'll try anything. Mm -hmm. So how has that influenced you as somebody who's really engaged in food, both in photography as well as preparing and serving it. Tell us a little bit more about the influences of your parents and how how that has shaped you.
1: Yeah, so it's very interesting. My mom is more of a street food person, and my dad, whenever he wants to take us out to dinner, he would have me pick a restaurant, but then he would add nothing on the side of the street. (laughs) So he's like somewhere with a table, please. (laughs) Um, So, but like my mom loves trying new things and love trying street food. And she has a very big influence on me because she loves going to markets and exploring and learning about new foods. And she would just ask when when coming across like food she doesn't know ingredients she doesn't know. She would just ask the vendor, the grower, the farmers, um, how do you eat this? And they would just you know tell her. All the things about the food, how to prepare it in short sentences or like it starts, uh, it turns into a long conversation sometimes and then she would buy it and take it home and try it and cook it for us. So that was really fun. That kind of shaped my adventures eating, I think. My dad, as a picky eater, there are a lot of things he doesn't eat, but he's still like very willing to try new foods and new cuisines. So he will pick cuisines that are more... To, like, his diet. So we would go to Italian restaurants a lot. We'll always, like, try new restaurants all the time because he wants to find something that he enjoys to eat.
0: So adventure seekers with food. Yeah. You have a degree in fashion design and spent some time as a window display and visual merchandiser working for both Nike and Quicksilver. You left that career to become an entrepreneur. Was that an easy decision to make?
1: I... Don't think that was really a decision. It was, I kind of had to. Um, Moving from Taipei, a big city, to Rochester, it's a pretty big shift. And the career and like the things that I was doing back in Taipei doesn't quite exist here. So I was still very much into visual merchandising and window display design. And I looked it up before, prior to coming to Rochester, those jobs just don't exist here, or at least in a level that I wanted to exist. So uh, to find out, find something else for myself. And I also have seen how unsustainable the fashion business is. So I wanted it to be more, I wanted to do something more sustainable and better for the planet and just better for the environment. So that's why I turned to food. Everybody has to eat.
0: <laughs> Very true. You have a popular website called Choo Choo Kachu. What will people find and learn from your website?
1: People will find a lot of authentic ingredients and recipes from Taiwan. Those are mostly recipes that I more home cooked recipes. So not so much popular trending Taiwanese food recipes. It's more of food that I grew up eating and using local ingredients that I can find here at the Rochester Farmer's Market mainly. Or just like ingredients you wouldn't normally associate Minnesota to. You can find locally and it's really cool. And I wanted to bring both Taiwanese flavor and, uh, and incorporate it with lo- local ingredients.
0: Where did the name Choo Choo Kachu come from? Oh I love the name. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks. Choo Choo Kachu was kind of like a riff on Beatles, I'm the Walrus. Cuckoo Choo, but at the time, coming up with a name, I was trying to find something that I can relate to, and I just kind of thought that I was kind of Cuckoo, um, <laughs> and I'm going to have a food blog, so Chew is eating, that's a great thing, and at the very beginning, I was going to do a travel and food blog, so I turned Cuckoo into Choo Choo, like the train, Very smart. Choo-choo-ka-choo.
0: Very catchy. Thanks. Photography as well is a passion of yours, and you have beautiful photography on your website. How does that come (laughs) into play in all of your uh, entrepreneurism?
1: Photography was something that I was always passionate about. Had a camera probably since I was 11, 12, maybe, and just always played with it, but didn't really get deep into it until I started a food blog, I had to be Really good because it's a very competitive world. So I spent more time doing photography and learning all the skills and art of photography. And it was really fun. And then it became a tool for me to tell my story and also help tell other people's story. That's how photography fits into this world. So I would do contract photography as well for other food businesses and Rochester Farmers Market.
0: You like to travel, you mentioned that. Does your passion for food influence your travel decisions?
1: A little bit, but not as much. I will travel anywhere, but I don't travel for specific restaurants, if that makes sense. I'm always searching for a authentic experience, what locals eat, what locals enjoy, and just going to the markets. So it does influence my travel. Like I often prefer to travel to Asia just because they have more um, street markets and more variety in ingredients, but it doesn't really limit to that.
0: (laughs) In 2021, you created a new event in Rochester based on the popular Asian night markets. Tell us more about night markets and why they are so popular in Asia.
1: Night markets... I learned this recently on Wikipedia. I actually didn't know. It started in uh, Song Dynasty in China a long time ago. And just because there were people working late at night, so vendors started to gather and started night market experience. And also because it's cooler at night is part of the reason. So it has a long history, and it's just people gathering and selling, feeding people, really. And they are popular in Taiwan now. We have over 700 night markets on a tiny island and just everywhere. There are big ones, there are small ones. Not every one of them is a grand event, but they're just little gallery spots for vendors to sell their delicious foods. And people love it because each night market have their own identity and have their own specialty food items or games, specialty games. But mostly people go there for the food. And we just love to eat.
0: And all year round? All year round. Wow. Yeah. What was your motivation to start Night Markets in Rochester, Minnesota?
1: One of the motivation was I wanted to share this experience with people here in Rochester and in Minnesota. And because during the pandemic, I couldn't travel, uh, going home back to Asia or Taiwan is kind of a hassle. So... I still wanted that experience. I miss it a lot. So I thought maybe that's something we could do and create here. And at the same time, being here for five years, I constantly hear small businesses battle on trying to start a business, but not having a platform or not having the promotion, the marketing to really help them succeed. So I thought maybe the night market could be a platform for them to help them do that.
0: Last year, your night markets, you had three of them, uh, one a month, July, August, and September at the Mayo Civic Center outside on the Plaza, wildly successful. Did you anticipate the crowds that you were going to get uh, as, as a first time event?
1: No, I had no idea. I told all my vendors at the first, before the first event, They asked me how many portions or how many people can they expect to show up? And I said, "Uh, I don't know, 500. So prep for like 50 portions.
0: (laughs) Surprise, what happened?
1: (laughs) That was a mistake. Uh, (laughs) Over 8,000 people showed up (laughs) and they sold out within probably 20 minutes.
0: (laughs) Wow, fascinating. Just the pent-up demand from... The pandemic, but also just something new for the community and really exposing the community to the Asian culture, not just food, but uh, entertainment, et cetera. So talk us through your vision for year one on on what you wanted the night market to look and feel like and what the community could take away from it.
1: It's kind of hard. It's a little still confusing for me just because it's impossible to create the same vibe of the night market that I know back in Taiwan or in Asia, just because of the settings, because of the regulations, because the vendors that we could get here. So it was really hard for me, and I have a lot of hard time visualizing it because it's just not going to be the same, even though I wanted that same night market experience for everybody. So I kept thinking to myself, oh, this is just going to be another craft market or a maker's market. But I think highlighting and emphasizing all the BIPOC vendors really help this event and is the success of the event because these are things that people don't see in their day-to-day lives or just in the streets of Minnesota or Rochester. So that kind of really helped pull it together that the night market event is different than
0: other events. What did you learn after the first year of producing the Night Markets? It's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I, I attended a couple of them. I can see.
1: I think what I learned is it takes a lot from the organizer, but this event wouldn't be successful at all without all the vendors being there. And I think it's the same for the whole, any city, the community is what makes the event. It's not, it's really not the organizer. The organizer can try as hard as they can to put on an event. But without the community, without the vendors, without people wanting to sell, it, there wouldn't be an event.
0: Are there other night markets around the region, around Minnesota, that you're aware of?
1: There Usually, annually, there's a Mekong night market in St. Paul. Um, they had to cancel it this year because of the regulation fee, policing fee got really expensive. So they canceled this year's night markets. But in St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, they also have a Sunday Thai markets. I think that it goes into nighttime, but they don't necessarily brand it as night markets.
0: So the night markets are back in Rochester this year by popular demand, I might add. What's new?
1: The first five events are going to be smaller. We're going to do six events total instead of three. The first five are going to be more casual events, just vendors gathering more traditional like it's supposed to be.
0: <laughs> how you envisioned originally. Uh,
1: yeah, how I thought it was going to go last year. Um <laughs> There will be about 22, 23 vendors at each event um, happening in the parking lot of the Naughty Woodpecker store, and it'll just be more casual. People come and go, and we have a little more food vendors this year, and new, more, more new and startup vendors as well. And on the last event, September 10th, it's going to be Mid-Autumn Festival, which is a big festival in my family and in a lot of East Asian cultures. We're going to do it on the Civic Center Plaza and hopefully closing the second street and doing a big street market.
0: So a much bigger presence.
1: Yeah, we will have about 50 plus vendors at that event.
0: You're very active in support of BIPOC startup businesses and ensuring they have a sustainable path forward. Why is this so important for you?
1: It's important because I don't see the same level of support a lot of times. And the regulations and the laws in America are often against their odds as well, just because the culture is different. The laws are built for the people who first came here, right? They were the ones who wrote the laws who are mostly probably white. So a lot of the cultures that we want to share are sometimes blocked by those so I see the importance of giving BIPOC businesses a platform to tell and share their stories and also have people getting used to the culture and there are different businesses, thoughts, and culture out there. And I think that's very important.
0: Do you have a personal roadmap for yourself over the next five and ten years? I don't.
1: travel is still my goal i think okay back up five to ten years travel and eat as much as i can and learn as much culture and food and take more photos
0: you mentioned earlier the retail outlet the naughty woodpecker naughty k-n-o-t-t-y and it's a retail shop that you and your husband share together to showcase his amazing woodworking skills and also really cool, unique items to purchase. Can Here, give us a commercial about the Naughty Woodpecker.
1: The Naughty Woodpecker is a woodworking workshop and a custom furniture store. Everything in the shop is made sustainably with hand tools only. That may, means no electric tools. Sean, the woodworker, he collects old and used hand tools and fixed them up, sharpened them, and used them to create Asian-inspired furniture pieces. And he takes custom designs.
0: Fantastic work. I've purchased some.
1: (laughs) The finishing and like all the tools involved are all sustainable and that's a big part of his belief. He wants furniture to last, forever and things that you can pass down through generations and that won't harm the environment because most uh, furniture nowadays you buy it they're all particle boards and it's all glued together it's basically just all plastic and it's
0: sad what do you miss about taiwan and what do you love about the united states
1: what i miss about taiwan i think it's turning every corner you see something different. That's something I miss the most. And people are genuine and just genuinely nice and friendly and kind of straightforward. And they are always asking whether you've eaten yet and are always trying to feed you. (laughs) And there's always something new going on and lots of new foods. Also, the tradition all lives in the same place.
0: And I think that's what I miss about it. How about, what do you love about the United States?
1: I think there's always new opportunities and people are willing to help. And people are trying to fight alongside you, whatever your mission is. And I think that is a very cool thing. There's a lot to see in the United States. It's really big. It is. <laughs>
0: Tiffany, Alexandria, thank you for your time today. It's been fascinating to learn more about you and your career. And best wishes with the expanded night markets this year. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is fun.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Growing Destinations podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by Experience Rochester. Find out more about Rochester, Minnesota and its growing arts and culture scene, its international culinary flavors, and award-winning craft beer by visiting experiencerochestermn.com.